everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. I hope you're having a lovely day. My name is Rosie. I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual and today we are talking to Shane. Shane is an anxiety, depression and trauma coach, founder of MBS Repair which stands for Mind, Body, Soul Repair. Back when he was a teenager, he experienced a lot of anxiety and depression and everyone around him was saying that it was just normal, it was life. Years later, he got really sick and his body sort of started to shut down and all his organs were shutting down. He had to do a lot of work on himself to get out of this terrible situation he was in. Now he's using all the tools he learned to help other battle the demons and become friends with anxiety and depression. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys for having me. We haven't met in person, but we have a few friends in common. A few friends that have actually been guests on the podcast, uh, including Jeremy Abramson and Alvi Thompson. So yeah, mm-hmm. we have a few relationships in common. We will meet eventually as soon as we're back in Miami. Yes. Right now, we're going to make it happen online through Zoom and this podcast. <laughs> but yeah. It's a real pleasure to have you on this show today. We're going to have a lot to talk about to dive into your personal story. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for taking the time to record with us. We really appreciate it. I think I'm going to start with a simple question. Uh, when and how did your story start? That, that, we, could, we could take it a little further back just so you kind of get the, the surroundings of it. Ever since I was little, I always knew like there was something different about me. I never fit in with my family, not in a bad way, like we were still family, but I never fit in with them. I was always different from them. I was a very right brain, creative type of person. They were always very left brain, logical. It is the way it is, all that type of stuff. So I would say my journey started at birth, like everybody else, but it, it really didn't hit me until um, I used to smoke a lot of marijuana. And in that mix, uh, my weed actually got laced with a Raid Roach spray. So I had a very bad trip, um, and it was the first time I've ever experienced anxiety in my life. After that, anxiety was so prevalent in my life that it just kept popping up and popping up and popping up. And for years, I was trying to understand what it is. And, you know, I, I would tell people, like, yeah, I'm feeling this. And they're like, oh, that's normal. And I'm like, so is my life going to be like this forever? And, you know, at one point, I did accept it. But the more I got into like working construction and working with, you know, at a gym and then working with paint, like I had all these different jobs. And every time I was in these jobs, I never felt right. Like there was something gnawing at me saying, you do not belong here. What are you doing here? And that made me deeper down the rabbit hole, questioning reality in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you after- when that started? That was, I got laced, I was probably about 16 years old when I, when I experienced like severe anxiety. That's super interesting that as, at 16 years old, people were already telling you this is normal. This is a normal yeah. feeling to have at 16 yeah. years old, you know, when you're not supposed to be stressed about life at 16 years old yet. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and, and I actually started smoking weed when I was 13. So I had smoking, I was smoking weed for a while before that ever happened, but it just happened in, in that moment, the guy that I had purchased from did something to it chemically and it, and it messed with me. Um, 
I'll never forget the day we were actually sitting on, on a roof that we always used to sit on. And I went into a full-blown panic attack, never knew what anxiety was. My friend was literally just laying there on the ground like he was kind of passed out. And the other one was just sitting up, like just like if you looked into his eyes, his eyes weren't there. And then I was sitting in the fetal position, rocking back and forth for like, I want to say two hours. And then we came to a place where we were like, okay, you need to calm down. You need to get off this roof and you need to get home. So when we finally got down, it took us like two hours just to get off the roof because we were so messed up that when we finally got off, we went to the infamous place here known as Taco Bell. You know, people that smoke, they want <laughs> to eat. So when I went to Taco Bell, I actually started drinking the drink and I had lost all motor functions in my throat. Um, so the, when I would drink something, it started drooling out the side of my mouth. And then when I tried to eat, I couldn't swallow and that caused me to panic more. I'm like, what's going on with me? So the anxiety intensified, I went home and for that day on, for six months straight, I had a panic attack every single day. And it was the most scariest thing and trying to explain that to your mom, like your mom's just watching this happen in front of her and she's just telling me, obviously to her knowledge, this is normal. Like, you know, this happens when you're under a lot of stress, but I'm like, there's nothing I should be stressed about besides hooking up with chicks and going to parties. Yeah. Like, that, that should be it. Um, and that just sent me on a whirlwind and then getting into the workforce, not understanding anxiety even more, it was more debilitating because I, what I tell my clients now, it's when you understand anxiety and depression, they're not that scary. And most of the time, like with anxiety and depression, what happens with a lot of people, their, their lack of knowledge of the situation terrifies them even more because they're like, what's happening with my body? Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. And then that just sends you down the rabbit hole. And that's kind of where it led me to going through um, and... I dealt with it for years and, you know, I never wanted to deal with it, but people were telling me this is normal. And then I tried everything, trying to figure it out. I messed up so many times along the way. And then when I started working for myself, I experienced it even more because of the pressures from stress, but I didn't know how to cope or understand what was happening and understand my mind body um, and inevitably my soul. So then that kind of led me on this whole journey. And then in 2019, I became chronically sick. I had a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, pancreatic insufficiency, liver toxicity, jaundice, and I was so malnourished in so many nutrients because I wasn't hold my body wasn't holding on to it. Um, I started suffering from severe memory loss to the point where I was actually forgetting my wife's name, where I was I couldn't drive my car because I would forget who I was, where I was, and what I was doing at times, and. Then it, it sent me on like this whole deep depression that I never felt before. Like I always experienced depression here and there, but nothing to the point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm okay if I die. Like, you know, I was never suicidal, but I was okay with death. Like I welcomed it. Like, you know, I, I and I spoke to Ali about this. There was times where I literally wrote notes on my phones to each of my family members telling my goodbye to them. Like, you know, I, I, I just, wow. I can't do this. Anymore. Um, My body's failing me. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not actively taking my life, but my body's failing me. So I, I, I'm, I'm on my way out. Mm -hmm. And um, I even wrote one to like my wife and stuff. So like if they ever, if I were to pass away due to my sickness, they would then find my phone and see the notes and be like, okay, like, you know, like he was trying to tell us this whole time, but we didn't want to listen. And, and I see that so prevalent in so many family households that people are crying out for help, you know, just screaming at the top of the lungs but nobody's hearing them and and then what what do we get in society you're crazy no that's mm -hmm. fine that's normal everybody deals with this and it, it's so sad that 
I just see this and people are coming in and telling me like, no, this is who I am. Like, I'm just an anxious person. I'm like, no, man, like it's, it's so much deeper than that. And mm. like, that's kind of where my journey started, like with becoming a coach for trauma, anxiety and depression, because during that time, I, I went in the depths of my mind with uh, deep meditations, um, uh, just really wanted to understand my body. I got my certifications in personal training, health and nutrition to understand the physiological side of it. Then I did my own research studies to the point where I'm now having conversations with functional medicine practitioners and doctors and our terminology is that of the same. And it's like, I never went to school for this, but I really wanted to know because my knowledge was inevitably my freedom of not completely getting rid of anxiety and depression, but coming to a place where I truly believe anxiety and depressions are my best friends. They're the only ones that are going to tell me, you know, something's wrong, that, that, you know, pay attention to this. And the more that we ignore it, the louder they get. And this is where we start identifying with our pain where it's been so long and you just say, I'm an anxious person. And you get these diagnoses of, mm -hmm. oh, you have generalized anxiety disorder. So what a lot of the work that I go into with my client is that of speaking my own personal story so we can find a common ground of relating and showing them that it is possible to break free of the stigma of what anxiety and depression is and coming from someone that had crippling anxiety to always, and I, I found it the other day, which was really interesting, um, where I had severe health anxiety, where I was constantly tied to a blood pressure machine because I thought I was going to have a heart attack where I was constantly looking up symptoms of a brain tumor because I thought I was going to have a brain tumor or I had a brain bleed. And it's very debilitating when you're, you know, you're trying to live your life, but you're so succumbed to your anxiety that you're constantly on top of it. And the paper that I found the other day was actually me writing down for three months straight my blood pressure, the time, and my heart rate. Because since my body was so malnourished, when I would sleep, my body, my heart would drop into the 38s. So like the low 30s. So I thought, I'm like, that's it. I'm having a heart attack. My heart's failing me. Um, and it was just because my body was so suppressed. So uh, that was kind of like where I was like, I got to figure something out. If not, then mm -hmm. like, that's it. Like I'm calling it quits on life. And, and that's kind of where I am today, teaching people all about anxiety, depression, and trauma. So when, when you started experiencing anxiety at the age of 16 after this, this bad trip that you had, um did you even did you ever i don't know like took medication went to see a doctor about it or a psychologist and to i don't know take like pills and stuff like to fix it the old-fashioned way like we know how to do in america and everything yeah. uh no I, actually i didn't like um i i just everybody told me it was normal so i thought it was something i just had to deal with um So I never went down the pharmaceutical route. And I could easily clearly see, like when I was in my darkest days, why people commit suicide. Like it, it gets painful. I could see why people get on antidepressants and, and depression medication. And, you know, the more I go through my journey, the more I believe, like I, I always say this, my biggest blessing was me getting sick. And I think me going through what I went through without pharmaceutical drugs was like my purpose for the universe. Mm -hmm. was me having to deal with this and getting out of it to being in such a better mental state to then bring this back to the, the society and public. Like I, I, I truly believe that was my design goal for life or my purpose for life. Um, so I think if I would have taken those pharmaceutical drugs, it would have deterred me from the mission of like bringing it back to the people and, and giving them 
what the motto of the company is, uh, MBS Repair, which is true healing, um, where we're not just coping with pharmaceutical drugs or, you know, seeing psychologists and, and understanding we have everything inside of us that we need in order to, to truly heal from this. There's something you said that is super interesting is uh, when you were experiencing anxiety, you eventually got the label of, oh you're just an anxious person that's just who you mm. are like it's you know like it's a personality traits suddenly it becomes just a part of you uh, and and mm. and it's just you know like you i don't know you're a funny guy or whatever here or you're an anxious guy that's it and deal yeah. with it like this is gonna be your life um mm. it's interesting how we take it as i don't know a fact and And, we identify as and, it. Yeah, and, and, and it's normal, you know, and it's like, okay, just live your life now this way. We don't even, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's that's super interesting that you have the label. And so do you think or do you know that uh, your body started to like shut down as a consequence of this anxiety and everything? Or it's something that you caught like a virus or... No, 100%. So uh, a lot of the work that I do um, is, is understanding the body as a whole. And, and the reason why we never truly heal and, you know, we're, we're doing the work, and I'm going to get back to your question, but just kind of give you a vague picture. Mm -hmm. When I got sick, it was due to what I'm guessing is the suppression due to the amount of stress that I had and anxiety suppress my body to a state that I was more susceptible to outside sources. So I got food poisoning around that time. And then that's when my body started shutting down. But it was over the slow span of a year, like a year and a half, two years that I was dealing with the sickness. Um, and, you know, for years I always felt it, but it was like, that was like the nail on the head that kind of like solidified it for me. Like, okay, this is it. Your body's gonna, your body can't handle this though, no more. Um, And I realized that I was doing all the work. I was doing the yoga. I was doing the meditation. I was doing the proper eating. I was exercising to whatever I can because I was so malnourished. I would get dizzy, lightheaded. I felt like I was going to faint. Um, and I'm doing all the right things in society's eyes. And I'm doing the right things that are, quote, unquote, healthy for the body. Yet it was making me worse. And the reason why I never truly healed, hence true healing, is because of the amount of trauma We have the three different uh, nervous systems in our body, the sympathetic, the, the uh, parasympathetic, and the central nervous system. Now, what happens is with those is in, in the United States, we're constantly in stress, and people are like, no, I'm not stressed out. Yeah, you could be on a vacation, and the thought triggers of, well, that relationship with your girlfriend's not going good. You got to pay these bills when you got home. Oh, how's your bank account? Your bank account's lowering, right? Oh, you're not looking good like everyone else on social media. We're constantly being stimulated in the sympathetic nervous system. So our central nervous system takes a snapshot, screen records it, then puts that into our body. That's a trauma. That's something we deal with. Um, then all the other traumas that I had growing up, like, you know, like when I was really healing from this process, I had intensified anxiety on top of the anxiety I was already having because I truly wanted to heal. And in order to get my body to a state of homeostasis, I had to release all those traumas. So you, when I was going through this, I would, my wife would literally watch me on the couch going through a panic attack or something when I was thinking about a conversation I had eight years ago. When I was, when I 
had a, a fallout with a friend or a breakup with a girlfriend or or something that happened, a girlfriend cheating on me. Like I went and visited all those traumas, had conversations with that. And as I started letting these go from my body of like re, re, seeing, showing myself, hey, you're okay, you're still here. And literally bringing up the, the trauma, then coming here and having a conversation with it, the more I did that, the more my body was relaxing. And the more my body was relaxing because it wasn't held on to these traumas, my health started going into it. So it was kind of like a parallel. The more I released trauma, the more my body started healing. But it wasn't because the proper food I was eating or the diet. That that was, mm. you know, a part of it. But the main thing that got me healthy was releasing the traumas beforehand that allowed my body to then heal, to then get build new building blocks and build a new foundation because we do the proper eating, we do the healthy habits, we do the reading, we do the mindset work and everything, but we have such a shaky foundation, which is our traumas, that we start stacking up on this and then when we say, I'm still suffering with this. So a lot of people hate it when I say this, like, you know, exercise, I'm a huge advocate, do not get me wrong, <laughs> but a lot of people do it not for intention, they do it for the aesthetic look of things. Yeah. So when I say exercise, yoga, meditation, uh, those are nothing but coping modalities. These are these are things just to like you know if you look at your body on a, on a on a physiological level when you do your meditation, when you do yoga, when you do exercise, it brings out these endorphins and then bringing the parasympathetic nervous system up, and you're like you come to this place of like, ah, okay, I feel better. But then two days later, you're still struggling. You're still dealing with the same trauma. You're still dealing with the same shit. And then you ask the person, hey, how are you feeling? Like, have you gotten rid of your anxiety and depression? They're like, no, this is why I do these things, because they help me. Well, mm -hmm. I don't want to help you with that. I want to help you overcome that. So we do, in my practices, we do the exercise, guided meditation, guided yoga, which is intentional for the body, not just doing it because society sees you as a higher individual. But we do these things with intention to then relieve our body. And when we do that and we bring ourselves to that, I'm like, okay, we found a foundation. Now we build on top of that. Because most people just do the work to come here uh, to mid-level. But when we're there, that's when we do the real work to break through the, the, the limitations that we have on our body. And, that, and then that's where you feel the intensity of like the practices that I do, where you start to experience a little bit more anxiety and trauma responses at first but that's when you you like push to the tip of the water and then it's like you come out the other side and you're like oh my god i could breathe for the first time and you're in a place where you could sit with those anxiety depressions and traumas and you're like how are you guys doing and have conversations with them mm -hmm. and that's where i want to get my clients to where they're no longer coping with it but they're actually friends with their trauma friends with their anxiety and understanding that they were the only ones trying to tell you something's wrong it's it It's really interesting that you, so when, when you did this, I'm going to call it exercise of reliving and re-experiencing your past trauma and facing them, did you do that because you're being coached or you're getting helped or it's something that you, I don't know, that you, 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 you felt you had to do? Because it's scary as shit to face all the crap you went through in your life for 20 plus years like this yeah. is usually something we tend to bury in a bag and throw away and we don't want to deal mm -hmm. with it and like you said like 
it's necessary to grow, like it's a necessary step. But having the self-awareness to do it without mm. any help, it's, yeah, impressive. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, going back, like I, I truly believe I was meant to do all this on my own. I was, because uh, every time I brought it up to someone, it was like, no, you're stressed, you're anxious. It got so bad that I had a dependency like, an autistic child, you know, when um, you take an autistic child out to a certain place, like they wear headphones to kind of like keep them in their mind. So they're not mm -hmm. like stimulated by the outside world. I literally used for like a year and a half, I wore these wireless headphones around my head. When we would go out to dinner, I was never at the dinner. I had to plug into the headphone to keep my mind off the anxiety. And it was like, it was crazy. Like it was bad. Like my wife got so mad at me. She's like, you're with family, be here. I'm like, if I am, I will freak the fuck out. And, but like I said, I had to go through all these things. And when I reached out to people and saying, hey, I'm dealing with this, it's normal. It's normal. I kept getting the same responses. And I'm like, fuck, so many people are dealing with it. So if no one's coming to save me, I have to save myself. So one of my, I, I, had, I had a conversation with one of my friends and he called me a psychonaut. It's, a, you know, like there's some people in the world that have the ability to go into the depths of their mind and explore psycho meaning the mind and then not astronaut and explorer so i had the capability of doing it by myself without the use of um like uh, psychedelic drugs or anything like that like i was able to do that with no drugs and i think this like i said this was meant for me to happen to explore the depths of my mind naturally so people are not dependent on things outside of them and showing them that hey it's possible that you could do this all on your own. You just have to be curious enough about yourself to figure this out. And I was, and I was completely curious of trying to and figure brave out what was wrong with me. And what? And brave enough. And brave enough, yeah, courageous enough. But I, I, I think, you know, you, I got to a point where bravery wasn't an option. It was literally, I had no option. It was either die or get through this. So bravery wasn't even there. It was just like, I had no choice and I had to, figure choose one path and luckily i chose the right path i didn't give up on myself and when you started to have uh those physical symptoms of your your body your liver your all, all the things uh deteriorating and dying at this point did you go to see a doctor i did okay. i did and, and i got what the same things um so i went to my primary doctor and I told her, I, I have really bad anxiety. I'm depressed and I've never been this depressed in my life. And she goes to me, she's like, you need diet and exercise. Because at that point, I was severely overweight. I was 220 pounds. I was considered on the spectrum morbidly obese compared to what I should weigh. Um, so, like, I was very, like, swollen. Like, you could see it in my body. I was just sick. Um, and she's like, diet and exercise. So, I, I came to her. I did... You know, I did the diet. I couldn't do the exercise yet because, like, my mind wasn't there. And, like I said, I was getting dizzy and fainting, feeling like fainting. So I came back to her a couple months later. I'm like, hey, look, I lost 30 pounds. But I'm still feeling the same exact way. And she's like, you know, you need you need to lose a little bit more weight, blah, blah. You need to lower your stress. Try doing yoga and meditation. So I tried that. I did everything she said. I came back to her a couple months later. And same thing. I had lost 65 pounds at this point and I'm still dealing with anxiety. I'm still dealing with the depression and I'm like, it's not working. Something's wrong. 
And then that's when she told me the words nobody wants to hear. I think it's all in your head. Oh, and I was like, yeah, I was like, you know what? In my mind, I was like, fuck you. Mm. <laughs> um, so then I, 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 at that time, I was already having like the chronic diarrhea. I had already been experiencing the chronic diarrhea for like seven months, eight months at this point. Wow. Um, like literally, I was in holding on to my nutrients. And then I went to a gastroenterologist. And the, the sad thing is they, a specialist, not all, I'm not, I'm not labeling all doctors and all mm. specialists when I say this, but he just did the basic workup. He wanted to keep me as a client and just treat me. That's all he wanted to do. So he did the basic workup where no results came in. Nothing came in. It was just, you have mild inflammation in your stomach, but that's due to, you know, like you were overweight and then you're coming down. That will go away with time. Mm. And I'm like, okay, but you don't get it. When I eat, I get severe anxiety. When I don't eat, I get severe anxiety. I'm like, there's something going on. I'm like, I've had diarrhea for seven months. He goes, oh, you know, this, that's that's normal with the way we eat in society nowadays. And I'm like, no. are you fucking serious? <laughs> so he prescribed me medication, uh, which was, um, it was diacyclamine and amox, uh, not amoxicillin. Another uh, PPI, which is proton pump inhibitor to reduce stomach acid levels. Well, in my research and what I started noticing is that it's the fact that I already have too low stomach acid levels, so my food's not breaking down, which is causing the burning sensation in my throat. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So I didn't take the dicyclamine. I took it one time, gave me a panic attack, like a bad one, so I, I stopped taking that one. I started taking the other one, omeprazole, omeprazole. And I took that for three days, and I'm like, this is doing absolutely nothing. I came back to him and I'm like, look, they were, they helped. Like, you know, I was able to have an appetite, but I'm still feeling the same thing. And he just went off the board and wanted to rev up my insurance. Okay. We need, he literally said, I want a pancreatic check. I want a gallbladder check. I want an endoscopy. I want a colonoscopy when I, I didn't have insurance. So when I went to go see the bill, it was like $10,000. I'm like, and at that time I was so anxious, depressed, and everything, it reflected in my financial state. So I was broke. I had mm. no money to my name. Like I was, I was barely struggling, barely making a buy to pay my bills, which was another stressor on my life. Um, and I just kept hearing it from all these people. And then I went to go seek out holistic and I went to go see a naturopathic doctor and my body was getting worse. And she started me on some treatment. She's like, Hey, you know, this is it. Um, and then I told her, I'm like, I'm peeing stuff out. Like I was peeing like these calcium balls out of like my, my urinary tract. And she goes, I don't know what that is. Go to the hospital. And I'm like, what? Like, so nobody, nobody was helping me. And like at that time, like I was like, I got to figure this out. So I literally went on Dr. Google um, and I did extensive research, like, like a scientist, like I became obsessed with feeling how I was feeling and my wife saw, like, I would just be on the computer, finding different things, comparing it, getting testimonials, like, writing it out, sticky notes and everything. Okay, like, that doesn't line up with that. Like, extensive research, that of a scientist. And I, boom, 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 boom. And then eventually I go, okay, I have a diagnosis. <laughs> then I found someone willing to take the test. I had then found um, another naturopathic doctor that was willing to take the test. And we took the test and everything came back positive. 
everything that I had truly intuitionally said I had came back positive. On top of all that, it turns out I had systemic candida, which is only supposed to be localized in the gut. It's a yeast bacteria that's only supposed to be found in the gut, but when it becomes systemic in the bloodstream, that's where you start getting sick. And I was super close to becoming septic. Um, like if I would have kept doing it without any treatment, my body would have really went into septic shock and I would have been like that. Um, when I when I then took these notes to like a, a, a practitioner, not the, not the second naturopath, another practitioner, he was like, you're like months away from like experience or weeks away from experiencing something detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my answers and then uh, by a blessing at the time I was doing hair um, and a client walked in and, and um, I, I owe my life to them, honestly, because they're the ones that helped me through this. It was a functional medicine coach and a, a registered dietitian um, that I brought my test results. We then took other test results to find out more based off my test results that I had came to a conclusion in, and we began treatment immediately. And that's when my body was, you know, going really through it, and I was detoxing. I had a, which is called die-off, which is when your body starts to kill off the bacteria inside, and you get the endotoxins that are released from the bacteria's death, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through that through a phase, but she's like, look, just stick through it. This is going to get better. We started, I was taking therapeutic dosage of uh, certain um, supplements and stuff like that, multivitamins, and to give my body like an absorption rate that was at least adequate enough. And then slowly but surely, I started feeling my mind coming back. My memory started coming back. My focus started coming back. My attention, I started remembering my wife's name more often. I was like, okay, this, you know, it was little glimpses. I started noticing that I was just smiling for no reason. And it was like in those moments, I started doing the trauma work and like I would go back down and come back up and, and you know, the healing process is not linear to what everybody expects to have. But it was very like this, but it was like those little glimpses of like, holy shit, like I, I, I didn't feel anxiety for two hours today. Awesome. That's mm-hmm. a win. Or, um, you know, I remembered this or because it, it came to the point where I would literally cook food, leave it on the stove and walk away. Or I would be running the water and the water would run in and I would just sit on the couch and my wife's like, hey, you have this going on. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I, I forgot. But the days that I remembered to turn off the sink or to turn off the water, it was like, okay, that's a win for me. And it was like those little moments that nobody speaks about that inevitably led to like my full big picture of where I am today, helping others. Can I just say, I'm not speaking because I'm absolutely blown away and so fascinated. Mm-hmm. I just love listening to you talking and Jeremy's having really great questions. So I'm still here, everyone. But I'm just yeah. absorbing all of this. But I do have one question. You've mentioned a couple of times about having panic attacks. Would you mind explaining mm-hmm. what that means to you? Because I know there's some people who do have panic attacks and other people who have never experienced it and don't quite know what you mean by that. Would you mind explaining what a panic attack is for you and especially a bad one, if you don't mind? Yes. So... In basic society today, we're like, oh, bro, I'm so depressed. And it's like, because they didn't get ice cream or something like that. Like, they, they overuse the term so much. So I'm glad you asked that question. But an anxiety, panic attack, whatever it may be, it's that debilitating feeling of you think you are going to die. You think something's wrong with you and that you're just going to drop dead and there's like, and you're, you're breathing it shallow and you like start panicking more because you're like what's wrong with my body and you start freaking about freaking out about freaking out and then you you then get to the point where you're like 
okay, I can't come down. And then you, you start reaching out and like you start doing like little ticks. Like for me, it was like rubbing my head. Um, just like, you know, just to cope, like with the sensation of like, I had to move my body and like I was twitching and stuff like that. Um, and I couldn't just sit still. And I was just like, I would rub my chest like this. I had chest tightening. Um, then your mind just goes in a cascade of different thoughts of what's possibly wrong with you without truly grasping what is actually happening. Like the, the fact that you failed to pay attention to your mental health for the past month, two, three, six months, a year, uh, then it finally triggers. Uh, you haven't done self-care or self-love um, in a while. You haven't taken time for yourself. It, it's it's all anxiety and, and panic attacks are is an accumulation of negligence of your life that has then caught up with you in a moment and then boom, it, it explodes. And that, that's what it is. It, it's a lack of paying attention to what has happened to you in your past. And, and this is the cool thing when you, when you get on top of being for yourself and living for yourself, you start to notice you don't have these panic attacks or anxiety attacks no more because it's a delayed effect of what you've done in the past that has then led you to where you are today. Um, so for me, it was that. And then it came to a point where the anxiety and panic attacks were so severe where some people actually experienced this, which is DPDR, uh, depersonalization, derealization, which is like a severe form of a panic attack or anxiety attack, anxiety attack where you then dissociate with reality or yourself. And then that's when you get scary. And then that's where, unfortunately, people go to a doctor and they diagnose them with different things. Like, you know, you have bipolar disorder. And it's like, no, you have to understand their central nervous system before you come to a, a diagnostics. Um, so, like, I would literally explain to someone, and this sounds crazy, like how I'm going to explain it. I know I'm awake. I know I'm alive. But I don't feel, like, connected to reality. I feel disconnected from reality. Like, you know, you're standing right in front of me, but you don't seem real to me. Like, it's, and so people are like, what? What's wrong with you? Like then they start. Then you start thinking you're crazy. And I remember I would look up schizophrenia, bipolar. Like I thought I was diagnosing myself with all these things because I. That's it. I thought I was done. Yeah. Um, and 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 with the stigma on like mental illness and mental health is so bad that we tend to label ourselves like this is it. This is what I have. Boom, it's over. And I know I get a lot of backlash from that, but I'm okay. It's like, I, I've been there, so you can't tell me, oh, you, you don't know until you walked in my shoes. No, I've walked into your shoes. And I've walked out of them as well. Um, but it's like, you start to dissociate and you start to, I remember I would wake up and I, I would feel like I was still dreaming. And I would ask myself, are you still asleep? And it's scary because you don't know. Like, you can't differentiate because you're, you're so disconnected from reality. And then there's some people that uh, have depersonalization where they feel detached from their body, where they feel like they're observers of themselves and they're just walking through life and watching things, watching them react to something happening. So it's like three stages removed from yourself. Um, and that's a scary feeling as well. And the more you talk about this, you will see a lot of people deal with this, but they don't speak about it because they don't want to be deemed crazy. They don't want yeah. to seem crazy. So that to answer your question, that is like the most intense form of anxiety and panic attacks. And then you have the mid and then what you have people saying like, I'm just anxious or I'm depressed. Like I, I didn't get that cup of coffee I wanted. Like, no, like don't use that. That is very invalidating of what people actually feel. Mm. And like when you go into speaking about it on that level of which I just said, like it, it's a whole different connection with people. And when you said about being depressed, I don't know if I can ask this as well. I always ask the questions that I probably shouldn't ask. <laughs> but in no, terms of depression, like, 
you said that you weren't suicidal, but talk to us about how a day, like a bad depression day is for you. Is it like staying on the couch the whole day, don't do anything? Is it staying in bed? Like, can you go to the shops? Like what's depression like for you? I find it interesting because I feel like it's different for everybody. And also if you haven't been there, it's interesting to know what other people go through. Cause if you don't know, you don't know. And it's, mm-hmm. so I hope you don't mind me asking these questions. No, not at all, not at all. So like, yes, the experience is different from everybody, but mechanistically what happens in the body is all the same. Like it's a response to something. But for me, a day was, if you knew me like beforehand and where I am now, I am a very creative person. Mm -hmm. I'm a very bubbly, outgoing person. I'm a very, you know, caring, attentive person. And I was the complete opposite of who I am or who I recognize myself to be I had no creative bone in my body I had no lust or zealous for life like I was okay with just you know being like I didn't have no desires to do anything better outside myself um I didn't care about love like I I really didn't give a shit if I got it from my wife or not like you know this is who I am this is it um I didn't enjoy things that I, I, I did, like, you know, just being with friends. Like, I would be like, okay, I'm with them for 30 minutes. I want to get out of here. I want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to seclude myself and go deeper into myself and, and push away from, like, society, friends, family, loved ones. Um, and it was just like, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. And, mm-hmm. and that was it. Like, you know, like, I... I did I sleep more? Yeah, I, I definitely slept more because I didn't want to deal with the reality of reality. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, my mind was so stressed out that it even carried with me into my dream. So I just didn't want to have thoughts. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to think. I didn't want to. I wanted to veg out and just literally, like, like if, if you had a heart rate monitor that goes beep, beep, I wanted to be beep. Like I wanted to flatline my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could easily see in those moments where, you know, like, you you have the thoughts. I'm not going to say I didn't have the thoughts of suicide. Like, I would be like, if I were to get in a car crash right now and I died, all right, cool. Mm. But I didn't want to actively do the act of, yeah. you know, hanging myself or grab a gun. or anything. I didn't want to do that. Um, it was just like, if something were to happen to me and I was dying, that's okay. Mm. Like, that, that's how, how I was. I, I didn't really love life at that point. It's crazy, isn't it, that the mind can do that? Mm-hmm. And so many people go through it as well. And so many people but just here's the beautiful to... thing. Yeah, go on. Here, here's the most beautiful thing about that. And this is what I tell my clients. If you can find happiness in pain, imagine the happiness you will find when you're in joy. And mm. so the beautiful thing about that, of like your mind going there, it's just your body protecting you. It's just your mind protecting you. And when you could see it in that stance, that it's your, not your mind or body trying to harm you, it's a self-preservation mechanism that's built inside the body of, hey, we can't deal with this no more. That's what DPDR is, depersonalization, derealization. It is a disconnection of the mind saying, I cannot deal with the stress no more, so disconnect. Yeah. Don't deal with the pain. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you look at it in that sense of you're like, holy shit, my body's just trying to protect me. And then that's what started happening to me. So when I started experiencing the traumas, letting them go from my body, and I was still experiencing depersonalization, derealization, when I was dissociating, 
I would actually thank my dissociation. I'm like, thank you for trying to remove me from this pain that I'm feeling. And I built a new relationship with that, that depression, that anxiety. And it's like, nobody thinks their pain. Nobody thinks their anxiety. Nobody thinks their depression. So the more I kept doing that, like I would literally laugh to myself. I'm like, oh, I'm dissociating again. It's, and I was like, thank you for protecting me. And I remember the, like, it was, I went into a Walmart and I was walking through Walmart and I had a huge panic attack and I dissociated and I, like, I started seeing people like, and I was like, they're not real. Like, you know, and I, I stopped, I took a deep breath. I was like, and I said the words, thank you for doing what you have to do to protect my body. I was speaking to my anxiety and my depression and instantly within two minutes, my anxiety and depression appeared. I came back into like reality. I was like, okay, you know, let me go on the back of my thing. And the more I practice that, the more thanking my anxiety and depression for doing what it has to do inside the body, the less I started experiencing it. And it was it's funny because it's funny because that sounds no offense, batshit crazy. But at the <laughs> yeah. same time, it makes perfect sense. It's like the weirdest kind of juxtaposition of like, that's obviously never going to work. But then also, well, that's obviously going to work. Like it's I'm yeah. kind of like, like self-awareness. I'm like in a weird um, state of like, that makes sense, but that makes to- like zero sense at all. Like it's, I don't know. I think it's as well. It's something that no one ever talks about. No one ever says, oh, thank you for giving me anxiety today. I really appreciate that. Everyone's always like, no, I don't want it. Get it away from me. Quick, get rid, get rid. Like give me anything to get rid of it. Whereas I love your approach of like embracing it and be like, thank you for protecting me. Cause that's ultimately what your body is doing. Your, your body or your mind, whatever it is, is protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. And thanking it for being there is such a different way to approach it. It's, yeah. I don't know, it's so confusing for me. I don't know if I'm, I, are you the I, same, I, Jeremy? No, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a clarity on like how I can explain it, right? Let's go back to prehistoric times. You are walking in the war- forest, right? And a tiger jumps in front of you. And it wants to maul you and wants to eat you and it starts attacking you. If you did not have anxiety in that moment, you will not run. Yeah. You would yeah. just sit there and take the maul right? So wouldn't you think your anxiety for kicking in and getting you the hell out of there? Yeah, you need the fear to get you to run and to get out of it. Yeah. But we, we fear fear so much that we run from it. And, and I never understood the John F. Kennedy quote, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm. It didn't click to me when I started applying that to my life, that we need the fear in order to get out of it. You get what I'm saying? Like this, if we fear fear, we're going to be paralyzed. We're going to be stuck and we're just going to be eaten alive. But if we do not fear fear itself and we just take care of the fear and, and attack it, then we have the possibility to move away from it. And like I said, it was like when I was depressed, all depression is in the body is inflammation of the brain. So the mind can't function properly. So you start to have slower cognition. You start to have memory loss. You start to have depressed mood, um, all these different symptoms. But then you're like, okay, my brain's just inflaming right now because it's trying to preserve my mind. And when you look at it in that aspect, you're like, oh, thanks, man. Like, this is my best friend. When you start to see your anxiety is just trying to keep your eye on something that whether it be physical, internal, or something that's happened in the past and it pops up, it's, you're like, bro, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. And it's a whole different ballgame when you're in there because now you're not fear and fear itself you're embracing it mm-hmm. and it's like that's where power comes from because when we're in a state of happiness and joy 
Mm-hmm. We don't do nothing with our lives. We're like, everything's good. Why? What's the point of growing? You get what I'm saying? But we need mm-hmm. pain to grow. Um, so that that's the way I've looked at it. And everything that where I am now is just a repercussion of everything of my practices that I teach my clients of how to get there. And, you know, understanding it's not going to be one day to the next, but the more time you put in, the more you stack, the more reservoir you have. So now I could go three months of hard working and then my body will crash. I'll give myself a week. You get what I'm saying? Like where I am today. Like we spoke right before this. Um, but I, I'm in such a good state that like I, my bounce backs are so much quicker than they were. They would take me out for weeks, months. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a place where it takes me out for a day or two. And I'm okay with that. And I hold no aggression towards myself because for what? Like, you know, like I, yeah. I need to be here in order to help people. So if I need to take a step back and take care of myself, I'm definitely going to do it. I'd like to bounce back on something you just said. We need pain to grow. Because mm. that's something I've heard before. That's something I've experienced myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I understand it. But you think, do you, can we grow without pain? Yes, 100%. But we need to have curiosity inside of us. So now I'll explain to where I am. It took me getting chronically sick in order to be where I am now helping people, right? It took that pain of anxiety, depression in order to be free of it to then help people in this sense. Now that I'm here, I'm so grateful for being here. I do not take it for granted. And when you do not take things for granted, then you could be like, I'm having a good day. Let's do more good. Mm. And you start growing from a place of good. But you have to get out of that pain point first. You have to push through that pain, get to a place of good, and then be curious enough with yourself of keep doing the good when you're good. So like the days that I don't want to journal in my book because I had good, right? Like I was good. I, I didn't have anxiety or depression all day and it was a good day. Why would you journal in your book, right? Yeah. But for me, I'm currently on day 636 of journaling in my book every single day since I've gotten sick. Straight. Whoa. Three things I'm grateful for. And the more I'm grateful for the, when I'm good, it just reflects in my life. I'm grateful for the smallest things. So like yesterday, for instance, when I, when I hit the wall, the conversation I had with my wife, though I didn't want to have that conversation because I was like mentally drained, I wrote down in my journal, I'm grateful for the conversation with my wife today. I'm grateful for getting a new client today. I'm grateful for, I'm getting a new client because then that provides money for my family. And you start to get grateful for like the smallest things that then you start growing from a place of happiness instead of a place of pain. But for me back in the day, mind you, I I was, remembered I would walk to the mailbox and I would forget where I lived. And it was terrifying. I would have anxiety attacks on the way back home trying to figure out where the hell I lived. The mailbox was right around the building on the other side of it. And I'll be like, where the hell am I? And it was when I was in those days, I would write in my journal and it, it, I'm so glad I documented that. I would write in my journal, taking the trash out today, mm-hmm. going to the mailbox and making it back home. Like I was grateful for like the smallest things. And now I'm grateful for the smallest things, but I'm in a place of joy and happiness that I just, I truly feel that not just saying it. I truly feel grateful for the conversation I had with my wife, for bumping to, into that stranger and having a conversation with him. This weekend, I met a guy that I just talked about my story, and he spilled out everything that he was dealing with. 
Yeah, nobody, he wouldn't say that to anyone else on the street. Mm. But he told me all about his anxiety and depression willingly because I was able to relate to him. And it's like, when you get to the state like where I am, like obviously I still do the work, I still am doing my own thing. But that's when you could truly grow from a place of joy and happiness. Is when you get grateful for the things you currently have and not taking them for granted. There's something that I found, I found really interesting and just to get into it when did you meet your wife or your girlfriend yeah. at the time uh when when did when when did she come in the story she we've been together four and a half years now um but that's including from the time we met because like i and, and we speak about this all the time and, and you know people will be like what's wrong with you i'm like no this is the truth like i want to speak about the truth she is nothing that i wanted but she is everything that I needed. Wow. Right? Um, completely. And vice versa for her. She wanted a clean cut, shaven guy, suit and tie. Like that's her definition of what I want as a man. <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. I'm a business entrepreneur. I have a beard. I grow my hair long. Like, you know, I, I don't do what every other business guy does. And we're the complete opposite of each other. She was everything I needed, not what I wanted. If you would have taken me back to when I met her, I was, before we even started dating and stuff, um, I was fooling around. Like, I was a shitty fucking person. I was flirting around with like three different women at a time, hooking up with different chicks every other day, every other week. Um, like, I was just overall, like, I would fuck you over in order to get something beneficial for me. Um, so that's who I was. And that's what, you know, part of why I got sick. And then when I met her, she slowly, like, it was just literally her presence. We didn't need to speak. She could just be standing next to me and I felt calm. I felt good. And that energy I was feeding off of, of like, okay, I don't want you, but I kind of need you. And, you know, we were friends at the time and, and we were we were hooking up and stuff like that. And then I told her, date other people because I'm not emotionally ready. I had gotten out of a relationship and we were doing our own thing. And she started dating this other guy. And I was cool with the first guy she was dating. They talked for like a couple of weeks, a month. And then she started dating this other guy and I'm like, okay, she's, and this was the suit and tie guy that she wanted and everything, great salary and all that. And then I came in and I was like, I'm going to lose her if I don't do this now. Mm. Right. And I didn't want her, mind you. And it was kind of selfish of me, but it was like the best thing I ever did. <laughs> I, I confess feelings for her. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm really confused. I do not know what I want, but I know I need you. And I have some sort of feelings for you. We didn't speak for like two weeks. She's like, I need to figure shit out because you just pushed me away and now you want me. It's confusing. So she came back into my, uh, she went off for two weeks. She came back. She made the decision to be with me and we tried it out. And, and ever since then we've been together. So it's like over the course of four and a half years, we've, we've gotten better as a couple, more healthier. Like, you know, um, our, our conversations are that of growth, not of oh, did you hear what this girl said? Did you hear what, no, no. Like, it's like, what are you feeling today emotionally? And this is, and now we're pregnant, which is another great thing, um, which I plan on talking with my son. Yeah. Uh, I plan on having these same conversations with my son, right when he's out. And people are looking at me like, you're crazy, dude. I'm like, no, because this is something that needs to be talked about. When he's an infant and he can't hear what I'm saying, but he could hear my vibrational tone, I will be speaking to him about anxiety, depression, trauma, how to understand, be self-aware, things that are not taught in that of society. 
I would be speaking on this because I want him to understand, though it hurts and though it doesn't feel good, understand you could trust yourself in getting better. And that that's like what I do with everybody that, in, that comes into my life now. Like I don't, I don't obscure from the truth. I don't obscure from the pain. If I see you're going through it, we're going to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, don't talk to me because I want to talk about the pain. So your wife has been with you through this entire ch phase of like challenges and ups yeah. and down and, and, and evolution. Um, it could have been really easy for her to say, I'm out, fuck off. I'm out. Like I'm mm. not dealing with this shit. Um, mm. and maybe same from your family. Like, can you tell us the, the support system you had from your wife and, and your family? Cause you went through a lot of things and you did a lot of work by yourself, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing having yeah. a partner loving you and, and, and a loving family around you was also part of the growth and, and of who you became today. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. I had no support at the beginning. Oh. Absolutely none. Not for my wife, not for my family. They, my wife, I will never forget. And we've had conversations about this. She told me, I think you're being psychosomatic. Not that it's all in your head, that you're thinking about it too much, that it's bringing upon the symptomology that you're feeling. That's what she told me. My family is an old school Cuban family that you do not talk about your pain because it's mm -hmm. a sign of weakness. You do not talk about your problems because then people will see you as weak. So I brought them to that attention and they were like, no, you know, like it, there's nothing wrong with you. Stop that. If you talk about being sick, you're going to get sick. Like that's the mentality that they had. And it wasn't until like they really saw everything going on and me coming out of that and me showing them test results. Hey, I'm sick. Like there's something seriously wrong with me. That's when I got the support. Okay. But for most people, they don't um, like I didn't have the financial stability. I was take, using credit cards to pay test results, to get testing done. I didn't have that. And, and, and there's a lot of people that can't even get approved for a credit card to then pay for these things. Mm -hmm. My credit was shit. So it's like I just had enough to get by and to do the work that I had to do. So I didn't have the support from them until I started healing on that journey. Um, and then when they saw it, now it's like a whole different relationship. And, yes, going back – me and my wife had a very healing conversation because at the time where I, I was just at the beginning of me getting sick, she lost her father. Her father passed away. Um, so we were in the same household on two different ends, screaming at each other, pay attention to me, love me. I need you right now. But I couldn't be there for her because I was dealing with my own, own emotional trauma. And she couldn't be there for me because she was dealing with her own trauma. Wow. And it's like, we had a conversation when we got to a little bit better place. We weren't completely healed. But I asked her, I asked her a very profound question. Did you ever plan on leaving me? And she goes, yes, I did. And I go, why? She goes, you weren't there for me when I needed you when my father passed. Mm -hmm. And I go, then she asked me, did you ever think about leaving me? And I go, yes, absolutely. I didn't think, I didn't feel the love and support I needed to get through this because of what you were telling me that it's psychosomatic and stuff like that. So I wanted to leave you because I didn't think I had it in you. Um, and then it got into like my side where never cheated on her, but I brought to her attention and I know it hurt her. I'm not, and people are like, Oh, you shouldn't hurt your wife uh, like mm -hmm. this, but it, it's a whole different realm. 
But I told her, I'm like, look, I'm actively looking at women on Instagram and I hate this part about myself. I do not want to do this to you, but you're not there for me. So it's like I'm having to seek elsewhere. And then it gave me the very profound thought of like, yeah, I didn't want to leave her. But it's like, do men and women cheat because their spouse is not giving them what they want? Or is it because of dissatisfaction in their own life? And what I found out, it, it was a dissatisfaction. My wife wasn't doing nothing wrong. Yeah. Nothing. She was, de- she was dealing with her traumas, what everyone should be doing. Yeah. And I was blaming her for that, for the ignorance on my end. So I was being selfish in that sense. So when I saw it in that perspective of like, it is my own dissatisfaction in my own life of the reason why I even want to go outside of her is to just feel alive for a minute, for a second outside of this pain. And then like the more we talked about it, like we, we, we talked to each other um, and talking about like, you know, I don't want to look at other women. And like it started disappearing the more and more like I became well with myself and I started feeling the fulfillment in my life. And then the same with her, like, you know, like it just became a healthier conversation when we talked about the things nobody wants to talk about. Hey, I'm looking at other women. I don't like that. And people will be like, why would you tell her that? I'm like, okay, let's play this out. I don't tell her that. I then resent her, and then I actually go cheat on her, which then ruins our relationship. Or I bring it to her attention, knowing it's going to hurt her, because she did cry from it, and I'm not stupid from that, knowing it's going to hurt her, but we could then come to a place where we could get an understanding and see how we could resolve it together. Mm. And that's, that's where we are today. And like every time there's a pain point between us, we speak about it. And obviously under her, because like, you know, like, She's not a person that could take on a lot of pain at one time. I can. So obviously I do it within her means. Mm. Communication is key. 100%. Even with yourself. Yeah, with everyone. I mean, communication is so key to healthy relationships. Yeah, but having those important conversations is never easy. And, and also we are not taught to do them. Like, in, no. in, by, like when I mean it's even... Our parents, they, and I mean, it's just a generation thing. Like they don't have the yeah. tools to tell us, so it's it's, it's not like a blame. Uh, school is not teaching us that. Society as a whole is not teaching us how to deal with hard conversation, even like on on personal level or business level. Like we we are usually taught to avoid confrontation rather than mm. confront things like that. So it's. It's not something that we really know how to deal with. So it's always like, what should I do? <laughs> like, uh, it's, yeah. it's really, really complicated to do. But mm. but yeah, when you can... Also, I think, I don't know, it's, it's... maybe it's not something you can do with everyone. Like, both person has to be ready to talk about it. Uh, so it, it's, it's not like that easy. You can't just do it with everyone, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have this person that is okay and wants to, you know, grow with you and, and, and you can find that person and that can take you to a whole other level in a relationship. Yeah, 100%. And it's your willingness. And, like, I, I work with clients all the time where they're like, my spouse won't listen to me. How do I get him to listen to me? And I'm like, are you even listening to yourself? Mm. Like, that's a, that's a question you should ask. Like, you know, and I, and I have this practice that I do with my clients all the time is, I have them write out their morals, what they truly believe in, and then I have them write in everything that they don't allow in their life. Negativity, arguments, all this stuff. And most of the time you see people are living in the, the column that they don't allow in their life and never with their morals. And it's re- when they see that, they're like, holy shit, like, you know, I got to change this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's very eye-opening to like physically see your ailments of like everything that I believe in, I'm not even speaking into. So then they're like, oh, but, you know, I tried talking to them. I'm like, yeah, but your words are triggering for them. So why don't you ask them, hey, what, what do I do that triggers you? You know what I'm saying? Asking those questions because people don't want to ask questions. They just want to respond. They just want to react to something. And it's like when you ask questions to someone, they're willing to give you the answers. And then they're like, oh, but I tried that. And I'm like, yeah, because the way you're asking it is triggering from them. So they don't want to do that to give it to you. Be like, hey, you know, and very, like, not kind of like a child. Like, you know, you want to speak to their inner child. You don't want to be speaking to them because them is the conditioning of what they've gone through in the past. Speaking to the inner child and be gentle and kind. Be like, I know what I do bothers you. Put blame on yourself because there is blame on yourself. I know what I do bothers you. I know I'm hurting you and I don't want to hurt you no more. So can you please tell me what you don't like about me or what I do? And I think that's a very opening question where they're like, because now they get to be on the offense of what they want to be in is they want to be in that responsive state. So allow them the space to respond. I don't like it that you do this. I don't like it when you do that. This pisses me off about you. I hate it when you do that. And instead of reacting, taking the knowledge and process it. Mm-hmm. How can I be a better version of myself to be more service to others and make an impact? So like with my wife, I no longer come and try to fit myself into what she needs, I ask her the questions. Do you need a boyfriend right now? Do, or a husband? Do you need a coach? Do you need a friend just to listen to you vent? I show up how she wants me to show up, and I have no resistance from her. Mm. But when we come in trying to put ourselves in our ideologies, and sometimes, yes, we want to help, but it's actually negative because it's causing a, a, a pressure, and they resist that. So if you just say, what do you need from me? I just need time alone. Okay, go ahead. Hmm. Listen to them. The more you do that with them, the more they're going to be open to telling you, you know, I don't feel good, which my wife does today. Before I would ask her, what's wrong? Nothing. Now it's like, what's wrong? You know, I'm feeling anxiety because I have a lot of pressure from work right now and it's just causing me really stressed out. And then, you know, I'm having this argument with like a friend of mine. And it's like, I just asked one question and I got all this information. Because now we've created a new path in our relationship of to go off of. But most people are stuck in their past ways. You have to build a new room with them and allow them to come into it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me something you you told me, Rosie, a few years ago. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> when, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, four years ago, uh, we lost a baby just to give you like the context and we went through a few months of obviously like dark complicated times and I do remember Rosie at this time you were like calling your mom or calling your best friend and I remember you saying like when I call this person uh, like she's feeding me with you know positive stuff like oh at least you can get pregnant at least this at least that when all you wanted was just someone to listen to you and be sad with you Mm. like you didn't want to hear like positive shit Mm. at this time like you just wanted someone to listen and be there and and cry with you Mm. Uh, yeah it just reminds me that like that's gonna make me cry thinking about it so don't do that (laughs) (laughs) no No, but but feel feel that it's exactly that like yeah you know what i'm saying feel that pain like if you want to cry cry like it, it hurts. You get what I'm saying? Like if I, 
I, I cried the other day at the thought of losing my dog. Like, you know, like that, that shit hurts. We shouldn't deflect that. Like it, it's obviously a pain point. And it's like, if you haven't reconciled from this, this is something that I, I actually have a client going through the same thing that we had a conversation and she's like, you know, um, I have all this trauma and this anger and stuff like that. And we, we spoke into it and, and I just told her, please close your eyes for a second. I go, if you could pinpoint your pain anywhere in your body, and feel it, where would you feel it? And she says, my throat and my abdomen. And I just went in and I'm like, what could, based off of like the trauma she's told me, what, what can this be? And I asked her one question, I go, did you ever lose a child? And she goes, no, I have my two kids that are alive today. And I go, I'm not speaking about them, I'm speaking about the other ones. And she's like, well, I had three abortions. I go, yeah, those are the ones I'm speaking about. And she didn't heal from this because she had never assigned them a name, and I don't know if you did that yet, but it's a very cathartic healing process of assigning someone that wasn't came into this world, assigning them a name, then giving them a personality, and speaking them to, to them as an, an adult because they never reached the physical world, so they are that of the spiritual world, so they know more knowledge than we do here. And it's like having that conversation is like, you know, I'm sorry, like, you know, this is what's in my intention. You, things happen. Like, having that, that loving, caring relationship without speaking about the pain, like, I wanted you here, but I, something happened that I couldn't have you here. And, and speaking into that and really forgiving that part about yourself and letting go of that just opens room for healing. And I, like, I'm just going off women, and we don't have to talk about this after, but if you guys have been trying to get pregnant since and it hasn't been happening, could it be that trauma pain that's, not allowing it to happen you get what i'm saying like mm. that and that's something i just i i like to speak into because like sometimes it's that trauma pain and not doing it that your body doesn't allow it to happen because it's still holding on in your central nervous system to that pain and and that's that's kind of like what i go into like when i when i speak to my clients is like don't avoid the pain cry speak about it scream at it yell at it do whatever you need to do but you will talk and confront this pain moving mm. forward yeah. So I've actually had two miscarriages since then as well. So. <laughs> but you <laughs> see what I mean? Something. Like, yeah. Just use that practice. Like, mm. go back and watch this or listen to this audio again, and 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 that might be a possibility. And you'll be surprised that if you actually have conversations with them and and speak to them, assign them a name, and assign them a personality, you could then let go of that trauma. Your body would be like, okay, now I could bear another child. Like I have the energy because probably during the first miscarriage you had a lot of trauma already that you hadn't dealt with and then that's what the baby took on it and released from there you get what i'm saying yeah we both had it's not even just um, yeah yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah 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 exactly and you the same thing i would say the same thing for you yeah. speaking of which um when we talked a few days ago i remember you we we talked quickly about masculinity about men crying you pinpoint a bit about coming from a cuban family and emotions mm -hmm. equal weakness and this is something i've experienced in in my life as well like don't don't cry be a man like all those things that we hear um i don't know can you tell us about that because this is something i feel the the world and us men needs to i don't want to use the word fix uh change Maybe it's just the right one. Change. Uh, yeah. yeah, just change. Uh, yeah, can you speak about that? 
Yeah, so for me, my past traumas of, like, my dad, my dad's an old-school Cuban, you know, he speaks heavily into, like, stop talking like that, stop doing that, blah, blah, <laughs> uh, which is nothing wrong with it. It was, it was a self-preservation thing that he needed to in order to survive, so I do not blame him for any of that. Um, but I saw it reflected in my relationship with my wife, and until I got sick, I was always very masculine, very vibrato, like, very... I'm a man, do not mess with me, like, you know, the minute I started tapping into my feminine side, people are like, oh, no, you have that stigma, that's gay, like, stop being a bitch, and, like, um, the minute I started tapping into that, I had, which is funny enough, I have more female clients than I do male clients, because I tap into that feminine side, because I create a culture where women are, feel more accepted by a man, I have clients that are, been raped by men, and they have a very big fear of men, and they're more open to me because I, I allow that feminine side. Um, abuse, physical abuse. I've had clients like that where they're more open to speaking to a man, though they have that trauma that they don't trust any man, is because I, I allow that feminine side. And, and it directly reflects in my relationship of femininity is not what most men think. Femininity, um, men think it's, you know, acting girly, acting soft, acting like a quote-unquote bitch. Like, no, femininity is characteristics like attentiveness, nurturing, loving, caring. So now my femininity comes out where I might not want to give my wife flowers, but I know she likes it. So let me go get her flowers. You get what I'm saying? Attentiveness. I don't want to do this, but I know it's needed. Hey, babe, like, what can I get for you? You know, like we went on a trip this weekend and I set... 30 minutes aside to dedicate to my packing and then 30 minutes after to, hey, what do you need from me? How can I help you? That's a feminine quality. You get what I'm saying? And it's not this whole masculine thing versus feminine thing acting soft and like, you know, delicate. No, like it's, it's these characteristic traits that we can develop and we can make a part of us of listening. That's a very feminine trait. That's not, you know, but like we put a label on it like, that, that's not femininity. Femininity is like, oh, my God, I'm a girl. Like, no, mm-hmm. like, no, that is the complete opposite. We have such stigmas around it. It's like it, femininities are traits. So, like, for women wanting to be more masculine, assertiveness, dominance, which now I've taught my wife. So, um, well, I, I, yeah, I taught my wife this. Like, she had her feminine traits of, like, submitting, which is a feminine trait, right? It's deemed a feminine trait. I'm going to submit to my man. I told her, I don't want you to submit to me. So how did I bring her confidence up in order to do that? Whenever she brought a problem to me, I said, I give complete control to you to answer this with that. Whatever decision you make, I have to accept and we have to go through. The more and more she did that, she developed a certain. So I came home the other day. She had this whole thing figured out. She goes, you need to call these people. You need to figure this out. And I submitted to her in doing that because it was beneficial to the both of us. Mm. So submission is deemed a feminine trait. I would submit any day to my wife if, if I needed to, if it's in the benefit of both of us. And that's why I told her, I go, I go, do not submit to me if it's a singular path. I go, only submit to me when it is, I did something that I know is beneficial for the both of us mm. and vice versa. Yeah. So I submit to my wife all the time now. Hey, you need to do this. Okay. Hey, I did this for us and we're going to go here. Okay. That's not it. You know, like 
oh, you're a bitch, you listen to your wife. No, that makes a very healthy relationship. So if I have to bring in my femininity to this relationship, I'm going to do that because it makes for a better relationship because why? It aligns with my moral column. It doesn't align with what I don't allow. If I, in my column, what I don't allow is people walking over me, but in my moral column is having a healthy relationship with my wife. You see the disconnection there? Mm. No, so I live in my moral column. I want healthy relationships. So though it may go against what I allow, I know how to distinguish what is really affecting me and what is not affecting me. And then that's where I'm, I'm willing to go into my feminine side in order to create what's in my moral side more prevalent in that. I love this answer. I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> and I'm really glad I asked this question because I really like that. And I, this is something I'm going to listen to again because got some really good points here. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. Um, there's something that I've been in my mind since you started, we started this conversation, um, and you, you, you mentioned your notes that you write, mm. you, you wrote some notes for your wife, your parents yeah. and stuff like that. I was wondering, uh, did you ever show your wife the note you, you wrote? No, neither my family. And I, the only thing I do have here. Did you keep it's actually on. No. So the only thing I do have here is on my notes section, write notes for family. That's the only thing I kept is that pain point. I, I deleted it because I do not want them to live off that ever again. Obviously, I'll write notes to my family again in the future, like when I'm elder of age and like it's my memoirs and things to live and things to pay attention to in life. But I think that would have been a heavy burden for them to carry. And I, I coming out of it, like it, it kind of was like a selfish thing that writing those notes, um, of showing them like, you know, you didn't listen to me. You didn't pay attention to me when I needed you the most. So I deleted it, but I did speak into it um, with my wife. I spoke to him about it and I spoke to my mom right. about it. Actually, so... I didn't completely ignore them. I kept that thing like in my notes sections to write the notes to my family before I even wrote the notes. Um, and that was in like uh, March of 2019, April. Um, but I had a very, I, I now I talk so much about the pain points that I, I didn't feel like I needed to give them the notes, if that makes sense. I understand. Yeah. Because now, now I speak to my wife about that all the time. I, I spoke to my mom. We had a very good cry two weeks ago. My mom came down to visit, um, and I just told her everything I had been feeling, like, you know, what, what I wanted to say. Um, and we both had a good cry. She cried about it. Then she came down for Mother's Day, like, three months ago or whenever Mother's Day was, and we had another cry. So it's like I think those are full emotion ranges. And someone, funny enough, someone actually messaged me the other day, and they're like, how's your day going? And it was the day I had to cry with my mom. I'm like, I woke up, I was happy, had breakfast with my family. I had a really deep cry, felt some anxiety, felt sad because of the conversation I had with my mom, but felt good at the same time. So it's a very productive day. And they're like, <laughs> what? And I'm like, yeah, I think, you know, we should experience a little bit of those emotions throughout the day. Um, not in their full intensity. I think we should lean more towards joy and happiness and growing from that, but never forgetting our pain. So like for me, I never forget about those days and I remind myself never to forget about those days. So like the times I couldn't drive my car for six months, 
when I drive my car now, you will see me with no music on smiling <laughs> because I remember those days where I couldn't drive and I was so ungrateful for driving that I'm so grateful for driving now. It's, it's the smallest things now. So you mentioned that you had a good cry and I love that you mentioned that. Thank you so much because I think a lot of men are shamed for crying and for having emotions and for, well, for crying basically. Mm. And you also mentioned earlier that you're having a son. So congratulations. I did that little woohoo thing, but I should have actually said congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and you said you're having a son and you're going to talk to him about anxiety and depression. Mm. And I think that's so important because I think, like you're saying about feminine and masculine, I think women are taught to be emotional. and They're taught to be, you know, we can cry, we can be in pain, we can experience these things, but boys don't cry. So mm. obviously that's important to you, but I'd love for you to talk about why it's so important for you to talk to your son about anxiety and depression and also probably to cry in front of him to talk, talk, the teach him that crying is okay and also teaching anyone listening any men listening that crying is okay and it's something that you can and probably should do i and i know i do this a lot <laughs> and i apologize for it i say everything without saying what it is i i, I kind of like encompass it so what i've seen though is the suppression of crying and not bringing those emotions up tends to reflect in how we treat women and it, it doesn't align with growth of a society. It doesn't align with our moral standpoints of how we want relationships. We want a healthy relationship, but we treat women like shit. Like that, that is so counterintuitive. Mm. So by speaking to my son, I want him to understand to never disrespect women. Because I disrespected women for a long time. And it, I actually came to a place, and, and I love this about my wife, that she allows this. Because most people would be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you bring that to your wife's attention? Because I feel like I can, because we have that relationship. I said, I want to talk to all my ex-girlfriends and apologize and thank them for everything they did for me. She goes, go right ahead. Jeez. Because I, I disrespected them. I, I would talk down to them. Like I was, I've never, since me and my wife have been together, I have never called her a bitch. I never called her a dumbass. I've, and mind you, I did this all in my past relationships. Mm. I never called her a whore. I never called her a slut. And I did all this to my past relationships. When we were fighting, go fuck yourself. You're a piece of shit. Sorry, like, if, yeah, but, I'm, yeah. but like it was very negative and toxic and it didn't align with my moral standpoint. So I've never done that with my wife. And I, I hold so much gratitude to myself for that um, because all it was was the fact that I suppressed all my emotions that came out in that way to them. And that's why I want my son to cry when he feels he needs to cry. I want him to laugh when he feels he needs to laugh. I want him to feel the anxiety when he's feeling anxiety, but then to detach himself from those emotions because a lot of people tend to associate with their emotions rather than see them as someone else. And I think that's where we get kind of confused that I'm feeling this, this is who I am. Like, mm. no, I'm experiencing happiness. I am not happiness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so when you could see them in that standpoint, and what I speak into all the time is like, you know, anxiety, like people will ask me, are you healed? And I'm like, yeah, but what's your definition of healed? Oh, when you're free from it. I'm like, no, anxiety and depression are all around me, just like joy and happiness are all around me. Um, but the more I'm in tune with those emotions and speaking to them and crying when I need to, why it's so important, because it directly reflects our relationships with others, the relationship we have with ourselves. Mm. And that's why I think it's important to cry because if I could tap into that feminine side and cry when I need to, it then gives me the 
the space to allow the other person in to see what's wrong with me and not just holding up that wall and blocking them out completely. Seeing emotions this way make, make me think of Inside Out, the yeah. Pixar movie. Like, we have those emotions inside. Uh, and mm-hmm. Yeah, they're here. Like, they're part of things. And sometimes joy is higher than anger. And the other day is not. Yeah. But they're all, like, in here. It's, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that movie, but I like it, though. Really? I heard no, this, yeah, <laughs> I should watch it. Um, I have one last question. So you said that you talk to anxiety and depression. You say, thank you for protecting me. Do you also talk mm. to joy and happiness and the positive emotions? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how like, are those I'm conversations? Like, like, thank you for being here and thank you for making... They're, they're so happy. simple. Yeah. They're actually more simple and complex because those... Like, you can look at them as spiritual entities that they've already... This is their true essence of who they are. Um, so they don't need to feel pain in order to be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Depression and anxiety need comfort, consoling. So you could kind of see them as your masculine and your feminine. Depression and anxiety kind of need that consoling, that that empathy, that conversation of more healing and understanding in order to do that. So like with happiness and, and joy and stuff like that, it's more like, thank you for being here. I want to pre- I want to tell you that I appreciate you being here. Like, you know, be here as long as you want. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's, they're very short conversations with it because like, but I never take them for granted yeah so like sometimes i'll be writing my journal book like thank you for being happy all day today mm-hmm. or for happiness being here all day today like and that that it just it it fills so it fills my cup up so much and 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 but with depression and anxiety the conversations are more in depth because uh what i what i tell my clients a lot is that we all know our pain we just don't understand it So when I speak to my pain, I don't speak to it to know it. I speak to it to understand it. Because mm. it will tell me everything. Hey, I'm depressed because X, Y, and Z. If I just say, if I walk up to someone, it's like some, wake, walking up to someone and saying, why are you sad? I'm just sad. Like It's a very limiting thing. But if I go, I want to understand why you're sad. Well, I'm sad because X, Y, and Z. Then I know how to better serve you. And that's the same thing when talking to an anxiety and depression. Well, I'm sad because you have failed to pay attention to your mental health for the past week. Then I know how to serve that part of me. I go and pay attention to my mental health. Hmm. And it's, it's just like these these conversations that come and go. And a lot of people are like, yo, that you, that's kind of like out there. Like you'd speak to them. Like, yeah, like they're not our emotions. Like they're, they're entities that we experience, whatever time it may be. And but people identify so much with the pain and the emotion that then they say, well, this is who I am. This is just who I am. And it goes all full circle. You get what I'm saying? Which then brings me into what I, we were speaking about last week about like one of my modalities that I love sharing on podcasts is a, a method I developed because I saw when I was in my, my, my sickness and everything, I kind of saw, because since I was detached for it, like it was the best thing that ever happened for me actually um, experiencing DPDR because being attached, detached from it, I was seeing things as they were, not as what I interpreted them to be. Um, so through that, I developed a method called the TAP method, T-A-H-P-P. Um, and what happens with a lot of coaches that, that kind of like bothers me and I didn't want to be one of these coaches is when they speak into helping people, kind of like what you were speaking into earlier, of 
they were speaking into positivity, but that was so invalidating of her when she just wanted to cry. Mm. Um, these coaches are like, think positive, do good things, exercise, work out, eat a good diet, eat healthy, do yoga, do meditation. It couldn't be further from like helping them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because if a person's feeling so much pain, it doesn't help them. And this is why I developed the top method. So my job is not to make you think differently. It's more making you change your perspective on the situation. So one of the things I love saying, which is another model of the company, which is the problem is not the problem, but how we see the problem is the problem. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So this is where I developed the tap method. Um, Because let's say you have this ingrained belief of I'm a failure, right? Mm -hmm. So T stands for thought, action, habit, personality, perceived self. So when you break it down, when you have this belief about yourself, this self-limiting belief or whatever belief you may have, it may be positive, maybe negative, but mostly I stick with the negative because it gives more answers. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a shitty person, right? When you think about that, that's a belief of yourself, right? So what I explain to my clients is that beliefs are just thoughts that we think over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So if I keep thinking, I'm a shitty person, I'm a shitty person, I'm a shitty person, I'm a shitty person, then that becomes my belief system. I just believe I'm a shitty person. Let's take it another step further. I have anxiety, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. I'm an anxious person, right? Let's go, let's stick with the context. So I'm an anxious person. When you're an anxious person, what is the action that follows that thought? You will do things that are actually not helping you but more aligned with anxiety. So you tend to overwork yourself, triggering anxiety. You tend to not take care of yourself, triggering anxiety. Those are your actions of someone that's anxious, constantly moving, constantly doing it. So it's actually counterintuitive based off the thought. So you have the thought, action. You do an action for weeks, months, years, that then becomes a habit. T-A-H, right? Thought, action, habit. That habit over time then becomes a personality trait. Now you perceive me as an anxious person. So you just go, oh, Shane's an anxious person, right? Mm. Which then, if everyone's telling me I'm an anxious person, I, the last P is perceived self, I then perceive what you're telling me as my identity. Mm. I'm an anxious person, which re-solidifies the thought in the first place, right? Which then continues the whole T-A-H-P-P, T-A-H-P-P. And it's this vicious cycle. So I can't come in and break that limiting belief by telling you, do better, exercise, do, read a book, healthy. I can't do that. You can't break that foundation. So how do I break that foundation? I shift your perspective on it, right? So if I were to show you this mug right now, I know that people can't see this, but if I were to show you this mug right now, what do you see? A yellowish mug. You want to see something crazy? What do I see? I see a Mickey Mouse. So we're looking at the same thing. We're just seeing it from a different angle. So this is where I do with my clients. Um, I don't want to change your thought. I want to change your perspective. When I change your perspective, it then cracks your foundational belief, cracking your reality. And then that's where we get, we're able to break through that and build a new foundation. So what I tell people is like, well, let's revisit the trauma. Are you anxious because you were never hurt as a child or you saw your family constantly struggling for money, so you feel you need to keep up with this work mentality, this this ideology that your family's ingrained with you. The minute you start being like, 
holy shit, I just do this because of that, that breaks your belief. Mm. That starts to crumble your reality at your feet and you're like, well, that means I'm only living based off of my thoughts. Now you started seeing, well, I'm in control of my thoughts. So now that you've seen it in a different perspective, you're like, well, then now that I, I see a different perspective, let's go off the new thought that the perspective is developing. Okay, I'm only like this because of my parents. Not putting blame on them, but then that's where you get forgiveness for your parents. Yeah. That's when you start forgiving and you're healing multi-spectrums instead of just focusing singularly. You. That's why I tell people I don't focus on one thing at a time. I might look like I'm doing it, but it's really encompassing everything. Yeah, it's going to have an You're impact healing. on everything. Exactly. In small increments. And then you get the bigger picture of where like one day you wake up and you're like, holy shit, I feel great. But by cracking that foundation, so for like me, it was like, well, I'm only anxious because I'm trying to keep up with this identity I have, have tried to identify and this hasn't even served me. But why am I have this identity in the first place? Okay, because of the conditioning I had from my parents and, and surroundings and, and relationships and everything like that. Okay, but then then they only did that based off their conditioning and their experiences and stuff like that. So I could genuinely forgive those people and not blaming them for hurting themselves, for hurting me. And then when I forgive them, then it starts changing my perspective. When I start changing my perspective, I start changing the belief. And now I've healed from anger uh, animosity to an individual and giving them forgiveness. I've done that. I've then created forgiveness in myself. Then I create a new foundational belief for myself and I've healed all these spectrums by focusing on one thing, which is the pain. And that's where I developed the tap method of realizing that we are not our thoughts. We are just what we think over and over again. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the lessons I teach within my, my thing. And, and of course it's different from everybody. But the methodology behind the tap can apply to everybody. The thought, action, habit, personality, perceived self. Yeah. Holy shit, mind blown. <laughs> That's all I've got to say on that. Just like, <laughs> this whole conversation has just been like, I could talk to you for hours, I'm sure. I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> it's so cool. Mm. So you work with It's people, a new way obviously. of life. So you work with people, so if, if people want to work with you, they can get in contact. We'll leave all your information below and hopefully yeah. we'll find just some new clients and <laughs> help people with their trauma yeah. and change people's lives. It's amazing, yeah, it's amazing I mean, what you're doing. Thank you. I, and I do plan on impacting a lot of lives, but I understand if I could change one person's life, then that changes the relationship with their family. Then their family changes the relationship with the people outside of their family. And it just grows and grows from there and there. So... Even if I only affect one person's life, which I know I haven't based on my clients reaching out to me and telling me like the impact it's made in their lives and their relationships with their loved ones, spouses and everything like that, I know I'm on the right track. And and like I said, if I could apply my own principles that I teach to my clients, like today, for instance, dealing with what I was dealing with um, and it's working, then I know I'm, I'm, I'm better helping people by doing that. True. You've dropped so many golden nuggets in this episode. <laughs> I like, appreciate that. So many things I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again and be like, oh shit, okay, I need to start journaling. I need to do mm -hmm. this. I need to face my traumas and do this, that, and the other. So mm. thank you so much for sharing and being so honest as well. Like, so many things that you said that people wouldn't really say about you. You said about looking at other girls on Instagram or like being not a great person previously and like all these different things. Like you didn't have to be that honest with us. So thank you so much for being so honest and so open because I think it's when okay. people 
are honest and open and have real conversations that's when change actually ha- sorry actually happens because people can then mm. be honest with themselves because they've heard somebody else be honest about what they've done or haven't done or whatever it is so no yeah, it's been amazing yeah. thank you and i and i think it's also um in a sense you being open honest vulnerable and 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 okay with who you have been and who you are now is also i i feel in a sense giving the permission to other people to mm-hmm. to see that for themselves uh you know maybe i was this yeah. person before and and that's okay and i've done the work mm-hmm. and i can now it's it's also well proving that first is doable but also it's mm-hmm. i feel giving a permission to people to say like this is something i can do and it's okay you know i, I don't have to feel guilty about it or or whatever yeah. it's just part of life like we are all figuring shit out <laughs> like that's just the part of the process 100 and, and you know it, it it does hurt me that there are a lot of coaches out there that are not honest with their clients they say i got everything figured out and i never tell my clients that like that's when they ask me like are you free from anxiety and depression i go absolutely not am i in a good relation healthy relationship with them absolutely Um, but I know so many coaches I've spoken to in the past that they will tell me one thing. And then when we get on a podcast or something, they're a complete different person. And it's like, Mm. well, like they're like, oh, you know, I'm dealing with this trauma and stuff like that. But then when they speak on their own content and I see it on their Instagram, it speaks nothing about their pain. It speaks Mm. nothing about it. It speaks into, oh, I'm better and I'm healed from this yet. I know you, I know you cried to me telling me this and you know, it, and the same goes for psychologists. Some psychologists are treating people like it's literally the blind leading the blind. It's like hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Um, and you could you could see my track record. I, I haven't deleted any of it. But if you go to my other Instagrams and stuff like that, you will see that I've tried being a coach multiple times throughout my life. I had Taylor Talks. I had The Porch. I had um, The Up Next Project. I had a nonprofit organization for veterans, like to help like veterans and stuff like that. I've had all these things, but I was still dealing with my traumas. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't only until like I came out of that and truly healed from it, that then now like my business has 10 X in over the past couple months because the authenticity that comes behind it and there's no faking it or having to keep up with something that is not me, Mm -hmm. that this honestly feels effortless at this point. And, and I'm able to do that now because I've done the work myself. I've gotten free from that. And, and I, I will continue to do the work till the day I die. But it's like being authentic. Like people will relate more with you if you could say, hey, I was raped by my dad. And um, it was a very hard struggle to go through, but I'm still dealing with it. And then you build these new relationships that you could then grow from that. And they give you knowledge. And they give you ideas. Like what you guys are doing with this podcast is giving people insight to viewing this and seeing like oh shit i never thought about it like this i've never seen it like that like it's all these different options and instead of being so singular and so one one thing fix all like yeah. no like there's so many options out there like but by being vulnerable you 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 then could express to different people how to fit and like you know even if i don't get any clients from this interview i'm okay with that that means i just didn't align with that person mm-hmm. doesn't mean i'm better than them doesn't mean they're better than me Hey, we just don't collab, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we've learned from it. 
honestly we do this podcast selfishly for us so that we can have these conversations <laughs> and we record it so that people can listen to it as well but even if we weren't recording it i think we would still be having yeah. these conversations like we just yeah. love talking to different people about different i'd do it things for myself and, yeah so you've, yeah. you've helped which is nothing us, wrong so. with that yeah which is and i i know i'm a little rambling again but i just i love every time you guys say something because a lot of us blame ourselves for being selfish and it's like there's nothing wrong with being selfish because when we could be actually selfish where it's not in harm of others we then could serve selflessly so mm-hmm. if you if if someone were to tell you they're not a selfish person they're a complete liar because nobody gives a homeless man money on the street because they're a good person no they do it for the gratification they get within themselves to say i'm a good person yeah you get what i'm saying i yeah. feel good when i do this so i'm going to do it everybody's selfish when you could admit i'm selfish and like what you guys just did that being selfish for doing this for yourselves and getting knowledge about it there's no problem with that you're getting knowledge to then help more people yeah you know what i'm saying which means it's an ultimate service of others by being selfish so mm-hmm. i'm completely selfish so i could be selfless i understand that i have to take care of myself be the best version of myself to be then the best husband and father for my children mm-hmm. that's that. a whole new new different way of no, looking yeah, at it yeah it's so true it's so true <laughs> yeah I'm going to have so many quotes of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, please, please do. No, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, Rosie already like wrapped it up before, but yeah, thank you so much for your just all your words and your and, and just to share your experience this way because it's yeah, I really can't wait to meet you in person and and yeah, get to know more on, on, on that because it's yeah, it's been great. Thank you very very much. You got one more no question. Problem. Yeah, I you know. I didn't forget. Okay. You, you sometimes forget, so I have to remind you. <laughs> You're the one forgetting everything <laughs> in a couple. <laughs> uh, yeah, one last question for you. If you could have a conversation with anyone, dead or alive, famous or no, it doesn't matter, anyone who you think is the most interesting person in your eyes, who would you pick and why? Hmm. That's a really good question. You, I, my mind, and, and, and that's the thing. I don't want to talk to anyone that's figured it out. Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. One, the first person I would speak to is actually my younger self. Mm. Right? That, that is the first conversation I would have. If I had a second conversation, I would love, I would love, And if we can manifest this and put it out there, <laughs> to speak to Justin Bieber. Mm. I, I know I that was sounds not expecting that. at all. But I've just seen his transition from his childhood into his adulthood and like the depression and anxiety he's dealing with now. And he's very open about it. I just feel that he's not getting the adequate help that he needs through the amount of money he has to pay for these high-end doctors. Mm. And I think he continues to struggle with it because he's not getting real answers. And I would love to have a conversation with that because I forget if I could impact someone with such impact on the world, that just gives me a lot of credibility. This is a selfish part in order to go help out more people. Have you messaged him? No, I have not. Well, that might be step number one is to message him like, Hey, Justin Bieber, I know you're dealing with all this shit. I can help you. Yeah. But he, you know, and the, You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm not going to make excuses because I could be, you know how many people reach out to him on a day-to-day basis asking him about this. 
But you're absolutely right. You don't know until you try it. And I know the whole six degrees of separation um, that that is in humans. Like I'm six people away from knowing who Justin Bieber is. It might even be shorter than that. But, you know, I would love to find out that he's doing a thing. And I've already planned the scenario in my head is running into him somewhere, having a piece of paper with my name, my information on it, and saying I could truly help you and just slide it to him shake his hand, leave it in his thing, and he reads it. And if he feels connected to it, then he reaches out to me. Like, I've thought about this multiple times. Interesting. And what would you say to your younger self? Feel the pain. <laughs> don't, don't ignore what you're going through. Hmm. Like, really try to understand it. Don't be so, eh, no. Because, like, what, what I tell people all the time is, like, there's actually positivity and negativity and there's actually negativity and positivity. So for, for my younger self, I would say, feel the pain because the pain will get you to where you want to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we tell people it's okay, it's all right. And it just kind of keeps us at base level and we never grow from there. But if I, I honestly think negative self talk could be one of the most powerful tools if we use it right. If you want to know more about that, I could, I could go into it very quickly. Yeah, yeah please. Okay. <laughs> um, so, like, you see this conversation could go on. And on, I know. On, on and on. <laughs> but the, the problem I find with, like, most coaches, and, like, I'm not speaking on all of them, most of them, um, is that they do positive and negative, right? I do negative positive in my coaching. So positive and negative is saying, you got this. You can do this. You're a great person. You know, you, you have everything in, everything um, figured out. Like, no, that's positive and negative. So if you keep telling someone positive like that, what tends to think is they then, thought becomes a belief. They keep thinking it. They believe, I got everything good. I should feel fine. What, you know? And mm -hmm. then they do the action habit and stuff like that. So I don't need to fix myself. I'm perfectly fine with the way I am. No. Like, that couldn't be more limiting to a person, right? Mm. Telling them everything's okay. Negative positive used in the right manner, negative self-talk is one of the most powerful things that I then teach my clients. It's, it's a, a part of the program that's called hate yourself to love yourself, right? Mm. So when I was dealing with my sickness, it, every time I did something that didn't align with my moral values, I would say, you're a piece of shit. You're an asshole. Feel this fucking pain because you deserve it, mm -hmm. which is deemed negative self-talk. But the more I did that, I realized I don't want to feel this no more. So I'm going to do what's best for me. Mm -hmm. So I would start to hate myself in order to do the things that I would love myself for. Because mm -hmm. every time I got it wrong, I punished myself. People don't punish themselves. You should definitely punish yourself when you fuck up. So that's where you use negative self-talk as a very powerful tool saying, you're an idiot. You fucked up. Don't do this again. And every time I did that, I did the things that would lead me into the right direction. And by doing that more and more, I then started to love myself because at the beginning I hated myself for it. So hate yourself to love yourself. This is one of those things like earlier where it makes zero sense, yeah, but it makes but it doesn't complete make sense. sense. <laughs> I'm like, is this guy crazy or is this guy a genius? Like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but it makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah and that's kind of the... Cause I think because it goes against everything society teaches now. And like I think I've that's why it seems crazy. 
I've never heard anyone say that before. So I'm like, well, surely not. Surely you have to be like, I'm the best. I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm whatever. But, but I get like, it. Like, if you do something yeah. shitty, it's like, why have you done that? Like, you're being an you asshole. You should feel bad and then like, do things to make you feel good. Yeah. Like, it makes do so it much sense. But I've never heard right. it being put like that before. Exactly. And that's the thing. When you tell yourself everything's okay, like the best quote you could think of, it's okay not to be okay. I love yeah, that. I love quote. that one. Yeah, same. Because... When you keep telling yourself you're okay, what you are doing on a, or think positive, what you are doing on a fundamental level is invalidating yourself of the pain that you're feeling. Mm. And the minute you have your invalidation of yourself, your mind can't conceive it. So it fragments apart from each other. So it's saying, I'm supposed to feel good, but I feel like shit. What's wrong with me? Mm. And then it's this constant battle. But if you could go and fit yourself into the slot of where you are, of like, I feel pain right now. I feel like shit. I'm an idiot for doing that. I'm not going to do that again. You then get to flip the script into, okay, I know in order to not feel that, I got to do this, this, and this. Mm. And then that's where you start to hate yourself, but in the process, you start to love yourself because you're doing the things that hey, you hate. Yeah. Mind blown again. <laughs> <laughs> Loved this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Like you said, it doesn't make any sense, but it absolutely makes total yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Love this. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. No problem. Really, really. No problem. Honestly, thank you so much for this episode. So we spoke a couple of days ago and I was like, I can't wait for this one. Like, <laughs> I cannot wait to talk to you for a long period of time and have it recorded for other people to listen to as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you for, no like problem. I said before, being so honest with us and for dropping so many bombs and <laughs> so, so many golden nuggets as well, of like useful things that people can use now having listened to this episode but obviously if people do want to work with you we will leave your information linked in the show notes as well um yes. yeah thank you so much it's been amazing no problem and i would oh, yeah, love to come you. back on later when i figure out more things yes we'll ha- sure. happily have you back yeah appreciate no, yeah. it thank you so much i will make sure that people can can contact you with everything in the show note and yeah go say hi to Shane from us we really hope you enjoy this episode and we will see you next Wednesday with a brand new one yep bye bye